On the night of September 23, 1972, a broadcast announced a policy that would create shockwaves in the landscape of Philippine politics. My uh, countrymen, as of the 21st of uh, this month, I signed Proclamation Number 1081, placing the entire Philippines under martial law. Ferdinand Marcos declared the state of martial law, signaling the official beginning of what would be one of the highly contested periods in the nation's history. How did the regime justify the need for authoritarian rule? Let's look back at Proclamation 1081 in this episode of Primary Sources and You. This is Podcast, Conversations in Philippine History, Politics, and Society. One of the highly contested periods in our history indeed. Hello sa inyo, ako si Beck. Ako si Lee. At ako si Aaron. And yes, we have been seeing charged debates about this period the period of martial law in the Philippines. No? So from the notion of the Golden Age to the role of the Communist Party of the Philippines to the recent discourses about the quote-unquote Dilawan politics, the presidency and eventually authoritarian rule of President Marcos, these are truly polarizing, uh, not just among popular conversations, but even in academic circles. At hindi lang din nga yung period, di ba? Kahit mismo yung legacies ni Marcos at lahat ng may kinalaman sa buhay niya, like si Melda, si Bongbong at si Aimee, yung idea ng Solid North at iba pang mga kakawing nitong mga usapin, napaka-complex ng period na ito because of the people involved and the events that unfolded. Yes, I agree. So, ito yung period sa ating contemporary history na talagang nag-spark ng, you know, really intense conversations. Partly, I think, also because madaming involved ay buhay pa, di ba? Buhay pa nga sa Enrile, eh. Madaming unresolved issues. At syempre, yung, yung martial law nostalgia, kung matatawag natin na, na ganun, uh, meron siyang undeniable impact sa post-authoritarian or post-Marcos Philippine politics. Yes, it goes without saying, di ba? We can even devote a whole special series on this and maybe we should. Uh, pero for today, yung kwentuhan natin, let's focus on one primary source na minsan overlooked rin siguro. No? Yung, yung mismong document na nagtaga sa bato, ika nga, na may martial law na, yung Proclamation 1081, signed by Ferdinand Marcos, actually on September 21, 1972, a couple of days before the official broadcast announced it to the public. And this is a very important document kasi in many ways, talagang dito din naka-inscribe yung kumbaga thought process uh, kung bakit declare yung martial law. I think it's the document that captures the reasoning behind the declaration of the authoritarian rule. Indeed. No? So to start off, ito yung unang paragraph ng, ng declaration. Whereas, on the basis of carefully evaluated and verified information, it is definitely established that lawless elements who are moved by a common or similar ideological conviction, design, strategy, and goal, and enjoying the active moral and material support of a foreign power, and being guided and directed by intensely devoted, well-trained, determined, and ruthless groups of men, and seeking refuge under the protection of our constitutional liberties to promote and attain their ends, have entered into a conspiracy, and have in fact joined and banded their resources and forces together for the prime purpose of, and in fact they have been and are actually staging, undertaking, and waging, an armed insurrection and rebellion against the government of the Republic of the Philippines in order to forcibly seize political and state power in this country, 
overthrow the duly constituted government and supplant our existing political, social, economic, and legal order with an entirely new one, whose form of government, whose system of laws, whose conception of God and religion, whose notion of individual rights and family relations, and whose political, social, economic, legal, and moral precepts are based on the Marxist-Leninist Maoist teachings and beliefs. Ako yung isang malinaw dito na gusto kong i-point out, talagang hindi lalatag ni Marcos yung idea na pinag-isipan ito, hindi ito random, at may valid reason ako why, why I'm doing this. Kasi nga, syempre, although wala naman sa ating experts sa constitution or batas dito, no? pero di ba sa constitution, yes, may power or option ng president to declare martial law. It's not something that's out of the constitution. Pero syempre, may safeguards pa rin at ito ay dapat na may enough rationalization. Dapat may sapat na dahilan yung pag-declare ng martial law. Tama, at malinaw din dito sa part na ng dokumento, yung pag-establish ni Marcos na talagang mayroong threat sa stability of the government. At at this point, talagang ang identify niya ay ang threat ng communism. And in later articulation, actually, ang sabihin pa ni Marcos, hindi lang galing sa mga communist yung threat, galing din sa mga oligarchs. <laughs> so parang may threat from left at from the right. Grabe lahat, no? So sinong bida? <laughs> Siyang bida. <laughs> That's right. No? So, at sa akin, medyo nag-strike sa akin yung small remark na uh, enjoying, quote-unquote, enjoying active moral and material support of a foreign power. Uh, which really highlights an important global context ng panahon na yon. Simply put, alam na natin na yung Cold War ay yung global condition that arose owing to the bipolar world order after the Second World War. Uh, kung saan nagtutunggali yung liberal democratic world led by the United States, uh, nababansagan rin nilang first world, uh, versus the socialist communist uh, leaning world uh, led by the USSR o yung Russia, natatawaging second world. At syempre sa mga bansang katulad natin ng Pilipinas, noong panahon na yon na hindi first at hindi rin second world, tayo yung tinatawag na third world kung saan makikita rin talaga natin yung tug of war nung dalawang opposing ends. Kaya di ba yung global context rin talaga lend considerable fertile ground for such a claim na may threat from communism to gain traction. O kaya yung, ano, yung common na uh, uh, pagkakamali ng mga tao, yung first world, second world, third world typology, hindi yan ano, eh, level of development. No? So, mm-hmm. Parang cold, cold war typology siya. So yung mga mm-hmm. third world, tayo yung kumbaga, battleground dito uh-huh. <laughs> uh, dalawang bansa mm-hmm. na to. Kaya nga yung claim ni Marcos na may support from a foreign power, yung mga threat na binabanggit niya, um, it could also be said of him, ganun din siya. Kasi as many would infer, yung kanyang administration tremendously enjoyed the support of the United States. Especially when seen in light of yun nga of the Cold War. Kung kailan talagang iniiwasan nga ng Estados Unidos na uh, pumula o mamula ang Southeast Asia, yung, 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 yung mga containment. Uh, method ng Washington. Ano. Uh, kasi ang lapit natin, eh, kung tutuusin, sa mga centers of um, socialist communist powers, talo na nung panahon na to, sa China, which had turned communist under Chairman Mao noong 1949, nung natalo ng Communist Party of China ang Kumintang Party or ang Nationalist Party. Isang makatutulong din siguro sa pagpapayaman natin ng conversation about martial law is by looking at the wider context. In terms of the local political conditions, syempre alam natin that the Philippines had gone through the Japanese occupation, World War II, and had the Third Republic na nagkaroon ng maraming struggles bago pa maging President si Marcos. 
His long career, in many ways, have seen these struggles. He was part of it. He was a congressman, he was a senator, and then he was president. The Philippines had seen struggles with widespread corruption, economic crises, at iba pa. And one key element din ng success nga nitong si Ferdinand Marcos, he claimed that he played a significant role, an immensely significant role, noong Second World War as a war hero, particularly sa Battle of Bataan. And later, historians, a lot of them, would say na fake itong mga war credentials ni Marcos. Totoo. And in spite of that, talagang ang lakas pa rin ng claims na totoo siya. No, against yun nga sabi ni Vec, against overwhelming historical evidence. Uh, and yes, no, so Marcos's career and cunning politics uh, was sharpened in post-war Philippine politics na na-discuss natin nung, nung huling episode natin. No? So kung saan, talagang yung patron-client relations, yun talaga yung matatag na sistema. So party politics play a role as well. Kasi ba diba Marcos also was once a Liberal Party member bago nag-jump ship to nationalista. No? So eventually... He will reach the presidency noong 1965 kung saan isa siya sa isa sa mga strong campaigns niya is yung slogan niya din na the Philippines will be strong again. Sounds familiar. At parang, di ba, yun yung parang version ng changes coming kasi <laughs> after nung series ng corrupt leadership, parang siya yung magbabago nga nung, nung sistema. Pero very interesting to kasi uh, 19, noong 1965, hindi siya sobrang popular na president. Uh, in fact, it took him quite some time bago siya nakapag-consolidate ng majority sa Kongreso. Ano. Pero yun, eventually, he was able to do it by using the power of the purse and by using the... Uh, well, he was actually very strategic also sa pag-aallocate niya ng resources para mahamig kumpaga yung ilang mga mambabatas. By 1969, he was up for a second term. And after a much controversial, at ang sabi ng ilan ay fraudulent and violent election, he became the first president to ever win a second term. At dito nga sa second term na ito, declare yung martial law. So may kita natin talaga na nailatag rin yung justifications for martial law. Kahit sa pag-create ng discourse, kasi halimbawa, uh, Marcos would come out with a publication titled Today's Revolution Democracy noong 1971. So kung siya talaga nagsulat niyan or may ghostwriter, hindi natin alam. During this time, the Communist Party of the Philippines under Jose Maria Sison was re-established in 1968. At dito, Sison started espousing the ideas of change by means of a revolution from the countryside. Very Maoist, ano? So Marcos countered this with his own idea of revolution. Kumbaga, Marcos hijacked the revolution rhetoric in 1971. So, makikita rin natin dito yung, kumbaga, tunggalian ng kanan at kaliwa. Yung impact yan ng Cold War sa revolutionary discourse. Pero katulad nga nung nabanggit natin, hindi naman pwedeng basta-basta na lang mag-establish ng authoritarian rule. Kaya nga may mga scholars na nagsasabi rin na si Marcos insisted on a constitutional authoritarianism, quote-unquote. Kasi gusto niya na may veneer o may mask of legality. Kasi he will have reached the two-term limit by the end of his second term. So, if he wants to stay in power, walang recourse but to really subvert the system and within the powers allowed by the Constitution, wiggle your way through staying in power. So, kailangan ng matinding um, uh, mental gymnastics din siguro, no? Hanapan ng butas yung Constitution. How do I stay in power? At yun nga, martial law yung nakita niyang recourse to do that. At may kita rin natin talaga yung, yung paglalatag ng justification sa Proclamation 1081. Ilalatag niya talaga yung kanyang justification at yung mga events no, that gave him uh, 
yung, yung idea that pushed him no to 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 make his decision so so examples uh, sa doc, sa document na to sa proclamation 1081 goes like this The aforesaid lawless elements have also fielded in the Greater Manila area several of their Sparrow units or Simbad units to undertake liquidation missions against ranking government officials, military personnel, and prominent citizens, and to further heighten the destruction and depredations already inflicted by them upon our innocent people, all of which are being deliberately done to sow terror, fear, and chaos amongst our population, and to make the government look so helpless and incapable of protecting the lives and property of our people. Whereas, in addition to the above-described social order, there is also the equally serious disorder in Mindanao and Sulu, resulting from the unsettled conflict between certain elements of the Christian and Muslim population of Mindanao and Sulu, between the Christian Ilagas and the Muslim Barracudas, and between our government troops and certain lawless organizations such as the Mindanao Independence Movement. Ayan, itong excerpt na to comes after actually a listing sa Proclamation 1081 ng events ng bombings, killings, unrests no, sa, sa cities at urban centers. So may kita rin nga natin dito sa particular quote na to. Uh, kahit yung condition sa provinces like Mindanao was also highlighted as a precursor as a condition kung bakit kailangan na, na magkaroon ng authoritarian rule. Interesting para sa akin na ginagamit ni Marcos yung kaguluan sa Mindanao. Samantalang, many historians and scholars would argue na, in the first place, may ugat din kay Marcos itong kaguluhang ito. It was under the administration of Marcos that the Jabina massacre happened. This is where a number of Filipino Muslims were recruited to the military and were undergoing training in Corregidor when they found out that they were actually being trained to agitate for independence in Saba. So nung malaman nila yun, umalma sila at pinagpapatay sila. This massacre sparked the founding of the Muslim Independence Movement na later on ay magiging MLF at MILF. So who's to blame? The Marcos administration. How convenient for Marcos no, to use the Muslims in rationalizing this martial law. Pero pattern niya talaga yan, di ba? Kasi nga, they even faked an assassination attempt to then Defense Secretary Juan Ponce Enrile, di ba? Para dagdag na justification sa pagdeklara ng batas militar. Pero very interesting talaga, no? Kasi itong mga unrest na ina-attribute niya sa forces na kalaban ng pamahalaan, enemies of the state, uh, I mean, he was doing it without even asking, bakit kasi may dissatisfaction in the first place? Kasi di ba, uh, nung context na to, nagkaroon ng malakas na bagyo under Marcos' presidency. Tapos meron pang global economic crisis na naka-apekto rin ng malalas economy ng bansa. At tapos uh, tumataas yung mga presyo ng bilihin, ng pagkain. Uh, may mga lumalabas na charges of corruption. Tapos magaganap nga yung first quarter storm uh, noong 1970, Diliman Commune at yung Plaza Miranda bombing. So, mayroong problema na naghihirap at nahihirapan ng maraming namamayan noong panahon na yan. At napaka-sketchy ng politics, kaya may protest for better governance. Pero I think, totoo rin naman na talagang yung CPP had the goal of a communist revolution. Pero yun nga eh, as some scholars have noted na rin, hindi naman ganun karami ang members ng CPP at ng NPA. Uh, kaya nga, later sabihin na Marcos would be the greatest recruiter of the CPP kasi during his term, dun talaga dumami at lumobo yung membership ng Communist Party. Kasi dahil kay Marcos, 
nawala ng recourse yung mga tao amidst their frustration sa mga nangyayari. That's true. At syempre, yung mga unrests at bombings sa limbawa, ito rin, napaka-contested dito sa history natin kasi may debates regarding sino ba talaga yung dahilan ng mga ito. Kasi may nakiklaim na si Marcos mismo ang nag-uutos nito. Halimbawa, yung ambush ka in Rilin, na ilang revisions na rin yung kung paano yung account ng pangyayaring ito. Ano? Or kung CPP ba talaga. Kasi halimbawa rin yung Plaza Miranda bombing ng 1971, di ba? Na nangyari sa proclamation rally ng Liberal Party, may claims na si Marcos ang nagpabomba. Pero may claims din na CPP talaga. So these create tensions rin sa historical narrative which we continue to see developing. Yes, so dahil sa mga context na yan, no, dun sa mga nabanggit natin kanina, may kita natin sa Proclamation 1081 how Marcos used these events to justify his decisions. Uh, important excerpt, although medyo mahaba to, ganito yung sinasabi. Whereas, because of the foregoing acts of armed insurrection, wanton destruction of human lives and property, unabated and unrestrained propaganda attacks against the government and its institutions, instrumentalities, agencies, and officials, and the rapidly expanding ranks of the aforesaid lawless elements, and because of the spreading lawlessness and anarchy throughout the land, all of which have prevented the government to exercise its authority, extend its citizenry, the protection of its laws, and in general, exercise its sovereignty over all of its territories, caused serious demoralization among our people and have made the public apprehensive and fearful. And finally, because public order and safety and the security of this nation demand that immediate, swift, decisive, and effective action be taken to protect and ensure the peace, order, and security of the country and its population, and to maintain the authority of the government. Whereas, in cases of invasion, insurrection, or rebellion, or imminent danger thereof, I, as President of the Philippines, have under the Constitution three courses of action open to me, namely, A. Call out the armed forces to suppress the present lawless violence. B. Suspend the privilege of the writ of habeas corpus to make the arrest and apprehension of these lawless elements easier and more effective. Or C. Place the Philippines or any part thereof under martial law. Whereas, I have already utilized the first two courses of action. First, by calling upon the armed forces to suppress the aforesaid lawless violence, committing to that specific job almost 50% of the entire armed forces of the country and creating several task forces for that purpose such as Task Force Saranay, Task Force Palanan, Task Force Isarog, Task Force Pagkakaisa, and Task Force Lancaf. And second, by suspending the privilege of the writ of habeas corpus on August 21, 1971, up to January 11, 1972. But in spite of all that, both courses of action were found inadequate and ineffective to contain, much less solve, the present rebellion and lawlessness in the country. Whereas, The rebellion and armed action undertaken by these lawless elements of the communist and other armed aggregations organized to overthrow the Republic of the Philippines by armed violence and force have assumed the magnitude of an actual state of war against our people and the Republic of the Philippines. Now, therefore, I, Ferdinand E. Marcos, President of the Philippines, by virtue of the powers vested upon me by Article 7, Section 10, Paragraph 2 of the Constitution, do hereby place the entire Philippines as defined in Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution, 
under martial law and in my capacity as their commander-in-chief, do hereby command the armed forces of the Philippines to maintain law and order throughout the Philippines, prevent or suppress all forms of lawless violence, as well as any act of insurrection or rebellion, and to enforce obedience to all the laws, decrees, orders, and regulations promulgated by me personally or upon my direction. And there you have it. Ganyan na-justify yung martial law. So may kita natin dito, pwede natin ma-infer na mahirap isipin na hindi talaga planado kasi diba, sa, sa document na ito mismo, nakasaad na yung actions na pwedeng itake ng president ay yung paggamit ng armed forces at yung, yung uh, pag-suspend ng writ of habeas corpus. Uh, lahat ito nakakontribute. Pero ano ba muna yung writ of habeas corpus? Di ba, Vec? Uh, well, it's a constitutional protection against unlawful arrests and indefinite detention. Di ba? So literally from Latin, ang ibig sabihin niyan, show me the body. Parang ipakita mo muna na may krimen at ako dapat yung pag-arresto sa akin ay ginawa in, in a lawful manner. Hmm. Taray, lawyer. No, so, uh, pero ayun nga, yung may kita natin na, na nalatag na yung context. No? So, kasi this happened also amidst a constitutional convention called by Marcos to update the 1935 constitution. Pero as many of his critics charged, no, he was actually out to amend or change the constitution to allow him to remain in power. Pero upon scandals revealing bribery of CONCON delegates, mukhang di magtatagumpay yung, yung route na yon. So kahit na may matinding outcry na against Marcos, plus uh, the Liberal Party oppos- opposition gaining more seats after uh, the Plaza Miranda bombing, sa Senate at sa, sa House, both uh, the Liberal Party regained the, the majority, talagang it became clear that the only way was through a martial law. At syempre, in spite of this growing opposition, one thing that Marcos had going for him was that he had the military support. So when he laid the ground for martial law, nandun ang military and he relied on them. At syempre, as the bansag U.S. Marcos dictatorship notes, he also had the support of the U.S. Kasi nga, di ba? Cold War. Indeed. No? So, based nga dun sa Proclamation 1081, may kita natin how Marcos and his political machinery was able to justify the declaration of martial law. Pero upon considering yung context that paved the way for this document to 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 arise, uh, we are always perplexed no? by, by the question as to, to its necessity. Diba? Kasi kailangan, kailangan nga ba talaga ng bagong lipunan o ito ay naging paraan lang para manatili sa kapangyarihan. And that the impetus, the actual implementation, hanggang sa impact ng martial law, these are all contested conversations about our history. At tingin ko kailangan tong i-point out ano, na tayong mga millennials and even Gen Z kids, you know, we need to continue talking about it kahit na polarizing talaga siya. Saka huwag tayong may kinig dun sa mga sinasabi na hindi nyo naman naranasan so huwag doon kayo mag-comment kasi, well, walang kwenta yung mga ganong klaseng argumento. Uh, <laughs> pangalawa, it affects us eh, di ba? Nag-resonate yung epekto niyan hanggang sa kasalukuyan. So we, we will always deserve a say in these conversations. Mm-hmm. And the proverbial mic has been dropped. And I think we can end with that. Don't forget to follow our social media pages and visit podcast.org for more content. Yeah, hindi pa nawawala ang pasismo. Share this episode para mas marami ang makarinig. Maraming maraming salamat and have a good day.